Okay, welcome to our Quo Bobby's Bible Study. And we're in the Gospel of Luke. And in our notes, uh, we're on day seven. And in the Gospel, we are on chapter three. The first 20 verses of chapter three. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Licinius was tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the desert. He went throughout the whole region of the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one crying out in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The winding road shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said to the crowds who came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce good fruits as evidence of your repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God can raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Even now the axe lies at the root of the trees. Therefore every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then should we do? He said to them in reply, Whoever has two cloaks should share with the person who has none, and whoever has food should do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they said to him, Teacher, what should we do? He answered them, Stop collecting more than what is prescribed. Soldiers also asked him, And what is it that we should do? He told them, do not practice extortion, do not falsely accuse anyone, and be satisfied with your wages. Now the people were filled with expectation, and all were asking in their hearts whether John might be the Messiah. John answered them all, saying, I am baptizing you with water, but one mightier than I is coming. I am not worthy to loosen the thongs of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Exhorting them in many other ways, he preached good news to the people. Now Herod the Tetrarch, who had been censured by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, 
and because of all the evil deeds Herod had committed, added still another to these by putting John in prison. All right. Well, we've got a lot to, to look at today. It starts off with quite um, a listing of historical persons. You know, this guy was Caesar, and this guy was governor, and this guy was tetrarch, and this guy and this guy was the high priest. And so uh, Luke, our author here, he gives uh, he gives us some uh, historical context. Who's who's in charge? What's happening at this moment? Again, this is history. Okay? There are so many people today who want to say that the, the Gospels are just made up fair. No. We have real people in real positions of power. And if I were a better historian or a better theologian, I, am, I imagine we could probably go and look and see exactly when John the Baptist started preaching. I'm guessing it's a couple years before Jesus became uh, a public figure, but I'm not sure. Is it one year? Is it two years? Is it three years? We could probably use all those dates. I guess that's something I should do someday, do a little research and see just how long did John the Baptist uh, prepare the way. And it says that the people had a great expectation. Yeah, we went over this before. In the prophet Daniel, he said there would be 70 weeks of years, 490 years, from the going forth of the word to build the temple until the coming of the Messiah. And so it's not exactly sure what year that order was given, and, but people knew about what time that order was given. And so they had a great expectation that the Messiah is going to show up. And they thought it might be John. And he said, no, I'm not it. But he's in your midst and he's going to reveal himself. And that was his message. His message was one of repentance. It said that he was baptizing people... Uh, with a baptism of repentance. Okay, what's that word mean? Repent. Literally, it means to turn around. You're walking west, you turn around, you start walking east. I repented. <laughs> or it means to change your mind. I've been thinking a certain way. I've changed my mind. And I imagine you guys are familiar with that. You know, you guys are on fire with the love of the Lord. I don't know, was it always that way in your life? I think maybe there's been a change, huh? That your thinking changed. And I know in my life, oh my goodness, uh, what a change in how I think when I had my conversion. And so... He tells people, you need to repent. The Messiah is going to show up any day. And you don't want him to catch you living in a, in a bad way, breaking the commandments of God. 
Because if he does find you in that condition, it's going to go very bad for you. And uh, John uses agricultural terms. I sometimes worry that the people today and in the next century or two, they're not going to understand the Gospels at all. We already have a lot of people who have no idea what he's talking about. His winnowing fan is in his hand to clear his threshing floor. You guys are from the countryside. Do you even know what that is? Not the fan floor things. But <laughs> yeah, that goes back about a hundred years even in my life. Winnowing was separating the wheat from the chaff. You've got a head of wheat. And if you rubbed it in your hands, you would end up with grains of wheat. I don't know if you've ever done this or not. You'd end up with grains of wheat. And then you got all these little hulls, these little light coverings that were around the grain of wheat. That's the chaff. Now, in ancient times you'd have the, 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 the process of knocking the wheat out is called threshing. And they used to have threshing machines when I was a little kid, but those have been replaced with these big combines that they go out in the field now and it does it all automatically. But it used to not be that way. You used to have to go out there and cut it down by hand and bundle it up. You know what that bundle was called? Starts with an S. Sheaf. And you'd throw the sheaves on a wagon, they'd bring it up to the barn, and then they would run it through the threshing machine, and they would get the grains out of the, out of the uh, uh, wheat. And it was quite a process. Anyway, these terms are being used here. Now, the threshing floor in the ancient days was a flat a uh, very flat, hard-packed piece of ground that was like hard as cement. Something that they could sweep up on. And you stand over here on a windy day, you got all this wheat and chaff that you... They would take sticks and stuff and they would smash it and they would knock out the grains of wheat. Uh, and then on a windy day, you take this, you throw it up in the air, and the wind blows the wheat, and it falls on the threshing floor, the nice, smooth, clean area that you have for it, maybe cloths put down there to catch it. And the chaff, which is much lighter, it flies further. And so that's how they separated the wheat from the chaff. The wind did it. Well, what if you don't have a windy day, and you want to separate your wheat from your chaff? You use a fan. You use a fan. You could do this on a table. You put a handful of wheat and chaff on there, and you take a fan. And that's called winnowing. That process of separating the wheat from the chaff is called winnowing. And so you could use your fan. I mean, you know, no wind. i got to create my own wind to separate it. His winnowing fan is in his hand. John the Baptist says when the Messiah comes, he's going to separate the good from the bad. 
He's going to separate those people who are obeying God from those people who aren't obeying God. And John the Baptist is very clear. He says, the wheat he will gather into his barn. What happens with the chaff? It gets burned in unquenchable fire. What's unquenchable? Can't put it out. Right? What's he talking about? Hell. Absolutely. He's talking about hell. The barn would be heaven. Okay? The wheat gets gathered into the barn. That's heaven. The chaff gets burned in unquenchable fire. That's hell. So John the Baptist is saying, look, it's a matter of heaven or hell. How are you going to live your life? You know, we don't have enough seriousness about life in our world today. I love the, the, the phrase, YOLO, you only live once, baby. But you know, the teenagers today, when they say YOLO, they're thinking, yeah, I'm going to go out and do whatever I please and break every rule in the book. But I think YOLO, if you look at it right, you only live once. Do you want to live forever in unquenchable fire? Or do you want to live in the company of God in heaven? Yeah. We need a whole lot more seriousness about uh, our religion. And, and that's one thing. I'll give you a little tip here, guys. Someday you'll probably get married and have families. And if mom and dad are serious about religion, it seems to rub off on kids a lot. If mom and dad, if they never go to church, if they, if they never pray at home, if religion is not a part of their life, that puts the kid at a real disadvantage, doesn't it? I'm not saying he can't grow up and become a great saint, but it, it, it could be a lot tougher. When you raise your children, raise them with Jesus. Later in the gospel, we're going to hear Jesus say, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them. And they were bringing little babies in their arms. I mean, we're talking infants. And Jesus said, Let them come. Bring them to me. And so, get your babies baptized. I'll tell you this again. Get your babies baptized and take them to church and raise them in the faith. It'd be the greatest gift you ever give to those kids. But John is speaking to crowds of people, and he's speaking to Jewish people, and they're expecting a Messiah. There's great expectation. And he said that if you want to prepare yourself for the Messiah, he's going to be here any moment, any day. And if you want to be ready for him, change your ways. Stop your sinning. And as a sign that you want to change your ways, come down into the river and be baptized. And he would dunk them under the water. Uh, baptism comes from the Greek word baptizo, which literally means a sunken ship. <laughs> when, when the ship sinks, you know, there's water above it, around it, through it, saturating the boards, whatever. I mean... And uh, in the baptism of John and in the baptism of the early church, it was immersion. You went under the water. 
and it symbolized dying. You can't breathe underwater. You're going to die. You're going to drown. And then you come out. My old ways are dead. I'm living a new life. And so it was a symbol of baptism. So now John the Baptist, what he was doing was not Christian baptism. I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He wasn't doing that. John the Baptist did not know about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus is going to reveal the Trinity. He's going to reveal that there are three persons in one God. John the Baptist knows that there's God, okay? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Old Testament. That's all they have at that moment. He, he does, the further revelation of the Trinity is going to come with Jesus. So John is not doing Christian baptism. He's doing a baptism of repentance. It's an outward sign that I'm having an inner change in my life. And that's what a lot of our, our sacraments are outward signs of something happening inside of us. And, and so he was very uh, forceful. And if you read the description of John the Baptist, it's just like Elijah the prophet. It said he was dressed in a garment of camel hair with a leather belt around his waist. And he lived in the desert and he ate locust and honey. Insect diet. I've seen a lot of diets in, in my time, but I haven't seen a locust diet yet. I don't think I want to join in that one. Um... That is the exact same description of Elijah in the Old Testament. And some people thought he was Elijah. And they asked him, are you Elijah? And he said, no, I'm not. But he comes with the spirit of Elijah. He comes with this prophetic message. I am preparing the way for the Messiah. He's going to be here anytime. Make sure you're ready for him. And lots of people believed. And lots of people got baptized. Did everybody get baptized? No. Uh, interestingly, most of the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, did not get baptized. And I think one of the reasons for that was, I mean, like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Sadducees probably looked down their nose and said, you're not of the high priestly class, and you know, you're a nobody, why should we listen to you? And the Pharisees were law keepers. They were very strict on keeping the law, and they would say, what do I have to repent of? I keep the law, I don't break the law. Well, they did, as Jesus will point out many times, but they don't realize it. And so they rejected John's message, and they did not get baptized. Because to get baptized, you've got to, you've got to admit you're a sinner. A lot of people don't want to do that. And they certainly don't want to do it publicly. You know? Okay, class. <laughs> I mean, if I have a classroom of students, or you're in college, you got a classroom of students... How many want to admit you're a fornicator? How many want to admit you're a drunk? How many want to admit you're a liar? How many want to admit you cheat on your exams? You're not going to get a whole lot of public repentance, are you? 
But John says, come on. He's doing this publicly. Come down into the river. So coming down into the river, you were saying, I know I need to change things in my life. And I'm going to try. So it was, it, was, uh, it was a great thing. Now, the people said, well, first of all, John proclaimed that being Jewish was not in itself enough for salvation. What mattered was how you lived. He said, don't tell me I am a child of Abraham. He's talking to a Jewish crowd, okay? They are the race, the children of Abraham, okay? And he says, don't say, oh, I'm Jewish. <laughs> of course the Messiah is going to love me and he's going to save me because I'm a child of Abraham. John said, God can raise up children to Abraham from the stones if he wanted to. No, 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 no. He said, just saying, oh, I'm a Catholic. You know, I've been baptized. I made my first communion. I've been confirmed. Of course God's going to love me. You think some Catholics are going to end up going to hell? Yeah. I think so too. Why? Because they're not following Jesus. They're not disciples. John said, the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Baby, we're chopping it down. You might be a Jew. You might be a Catholic. You might think that you're all that in a bag of chips. But if you don't actually follow God's commandments, if you don't accept his Messiah and become his disciple, you're going to get cut down and thrown into the unquenchable fire. The axe is laid to the root of the tree. He's cutting you down. He said, produce fruit. That's what the tree's supposed to do. It's supposed to produce fruit. He said, if you're not producing fruit, you're going to get cut down and thrown in the fire. So the people said, well, what are we supposed to do? And John said, well, if you got two coats, Share with the guy who doesn't have any coat. If you got some extra food, share with some guy that doesn't have any food. Basic charity toward your neighbor. That shows that you love your neighbor. Later in the New Testament, we have James saying, what good is it? He said, if your neighbor asks for something to eat, or and you say, oh, go home and eat well and be keep warm. He said, what good is that if you don't give the guy what he needs to eat? Just tell him, oh, have a nice time, but you don't give him what he needs. He said, what good is that? Faith without works is dead. So John says, if you got extra, share with the guy who needs something. Well, that's still a good idea today. He didn't say you had to give everything away. But he said, if you got an extra coat, give it to the guy who's freezing. Got some extra food, give it to the guy who's hungry. And it said the um, uh, tax collectors came. Now, tax collectors were hated by everybody. 
they were working for the Romans. These were Jewish people who were basically traitors. They were working for the Romans. And they did so because they got rich. Tax collectors usually collected what they were supposed to. But they had the authority of the Roman Empire behind them. And the Roman soldiers, like, say the tax was $10, they'd say, well, you know, you owe, you owe 11 you know. He gives the 10 to the, to the Romans, and he keeps the other dollar for himself. Okay? Tax collectors were famous for being dishonest. In fact, I read in a book once where in the ancient world, they actually put up a statue to an honest tax collector. It was so rare, they put up a statue in this town to a guy who was actually an honest tax collector. Um, so most people hated tax collectors because they were getting cheated and they were collecting money for the enemy. So double whammy. But tax collectors thought, hey, it's a way for me to get through life and make a lot of money and I can live an easy life. And so they did. The tax collectors said, and, and I don't know if you noticed it or not, but you, you kind of get the idea that um, um, in verse 12, even tax collectors came to be baptized. <laughs> Luke is like saying, whoa, these are the worst people in town. They even showed up and said, we want to be baptized. And, and, and they said, what are we supposed to do? And he said, don't cheat people. Stop cheating people. Collect the correct amount. And then the soldiers said, what should we do? He said, don't, uh, don't bully anybody. Don't extort money out of them. Be content with your pay. Do you notice he didn't tell the soldiers to stop being soldiers? He didn't tell the tax collectors to stop being tax collectors. He said, be an honest tax collector. Be an honest and respectable soldier. Do your job the way you're supposed to do it. So, if John the Baptist came to Rushi today, and he's talking to the Quo Vadis, uh members, a lot of college students, uh, it would go like this. And the Quo Vadis college students asked John, what should we do? Would he tell you to drop out of school and become a missionary in Africa? No. Would he tell you to totally change your life? I don't think so. He'd say, be a good college student. Well, what does it mean to be a good college student? Uh, go to your classes. Do your best to learn. Do your best to become proficient at whatever career uh, that you're planning on entering so that, you know what, we want you to be a really good doctor. We don't want you to be a, a doctor who doesn't know much. We want you to be a really good accountant. We want to get things done correctly. We want you to be a really good mechanic. Whatever it is. That's what you're going to school for. You're supposed to be learning. But is that what a lot of college kids go to school for? A lot of college kids go to school to partay. You know? 
and they're cutting their classes. They're not really studying. They're cramming to try to pass a test at the last minute, and five minutes after the tests are over, they're not going to remember 90% of what they just wrote down. Does that make for a well-educated person? No. They're not really being good college students. Amen? I imagine you've run into a few. I knew quite a few. I, was a, I myself was a terrible college student. I didn't go to at least half my classes. This was before my conversion. I was a terrible college student. But I was a good partier. <laughs> you know, I was very good at that. But I was, so, John the Baptist would have said to me, you know, stop your drunkenness and, and your carousing and, and, and all that crap and do what you're supposed to do. Get an education and become good at your vocation. So, I think that's what God tells us to do. He's, he's not calling most of us to go off and do something extraordinary. He wants us to do something ordinary, an ordinary life, but to live it in an extraordinary way. How we live comes from inside of us. And that has to be renewed constantly. So I think that's what John the Baptist would say to us today. And he would certainly say, oh, just saying you're a Catholic is not enough. You've got to live it out. I'm afraid there are many, many Catholics. And even Catholic priests, even Catholic bishops. Um, I've been reading a book just recently about how many bishops have been uh, kicked out for abusing children and stuff. We got people who are just not following the way of Christ at all, and they may even be a bishop or a priest or a nun. You still could end up in hell. We all have to follow the Lord to end up with Him. He made it clear that he was not the Messiah, but that the Messiah would soon come and separate the good from the bad. And finally, uh, King Herod put John in jail because John had spoken out in condemnation of Herod's adultery. Herod had taken as his wife his brother Philip's wife, and her name was Herodias. It's almost comical. And Herod had four sons. He named them all Herod, uh, the older Herod. And so there's Herod Antipas and Herod Agrippa and Herod Philip. It gets crazy when you're reading the New Testament and you're reading about King Herod because there's five different King Herods in the New Testament. And I guess Herodias was kind of a gold digger. And she left Philip for Antipas because he had a much bigger uh, kingdom, more wealthy kingdom, and she's going to have life nicer. Well, you just can't leave your husband and go marry your brother-in-law. This is not quite the way it's supposed to be. 
And John the Baptist publicly called out King Herod. You know, he's standing out there preaching and he said, the king should repent too. He's living with Herodias as if she's his wife. But she's the wife of Philip, his brother. Whoa. If you read all four Gospels, you find that Herodias was really upset about this. She was, you know, uh, she was furious that he was uh, casting aspersions upon her reputation. And, and Herod had John arrested and he put him in jail. Later, he's going to have John executed. Herodias's daughter is going to do a dance one day. We don't know exactly what, probably some strip tease or something. And, and it, it delighted Herod in his lustful ways. And he said, I'll give you whatever you ask for, up to half of my kingdom. And it says the daughter asked her mother, what should I ask for? And the mother said, ask for the head of John the Baptist on a platter right now. And so she said, that's what I want, the head of John the Baptist. And it says that Herod didn't want to do that. The Bible tells us that Herod actually was attracted to listening to John. But he didn't follow it. You know there are a lot of people like that. There are a lot of people who are, they're somewhat interested in spirituality. Or they're interested in religion. But they don't really want to change. They don't really want to take that step, or they're afraid to take that step. That's the step of faith. When you say, my life is yours, Jesus. I will follow you wherever you lead me. That's scary. That's scary. I was scared to do it. I thank God I eventually did. But I totally understand. If you... If you say to God, my life is yours, I thought if I say that to Jesus, he's going to tell me to be a priest and go off to Africa and be a missionary, and I would just be so, oh my goodness. Ah, that would be terrible. I didn't want to do that. But eventually I came to the point in my life where it didn't matter. I knew that my life was going the wrong direction, and I knew that Jesus was the right way to go. And so I took the chance and I surrendered myself. Now, I look back on it and I think, oh, Henry, you weren't taking a chance. God is all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful. He loves me more than I love me. He can do infinitely more for me than I can do for myself. So I would be nuts not to put my life into his hands. But you see, I know that now. Before you take that step, people don't know that. They, they're, they're, they're fearful. They're fearful. So, John the Baptist had made Herod and Herodias very angry. And then eventually she got her chance to take revenge and she asked for his head, and Herod, he didn't want to be embarrassed, and so he did. He sent a soldier who said, decapitate him, and they did. 
and they brought his head in on a platter and gave it to the girl and she gave it to her mother. And um, so that is how John the Baptist died, uh, executed by King Herod. Our vocabulary today, we've got the Jordan River. If you ever look at a map, the Jordan River runs right down through the middle of the promised land, the land of Canaan, or what they called Israel. It starts up at the um, Sea of Galilee, and when it rains, the water rolls into the Sea of Galilee, and eventually there's an overflow. And that's the beginning of the Jordan River. And there's a, quite a big spring up there also. And the water from that spring, and that's where the Jordan River begins. And it flows all the way through the country, and it ends up at the Dead Sea. I think the Dead Sea is the lowest place on earth, I think have to check my geography on that, but I think the Dead Sea is like the lowest place on earth, and the water, there's no outlet, and the water that flows in evaporates out. It's, uh, it's in the very southern part there, uh, just south of Israel. And uh, the Dead Sea, of course, the Sea of Galilee is still there to this day, and the Dead Sea is still there, and tourists go to the Dead Sea, and because it's really, really salty. This water's been evaporating out for thousands of years. And um, it's very, very salty there. And they say you can float like nothing. You, you, it's like well, anybody can float in the Dead Sea. It's very easy. And um, tourists go there. Um, it's called the Dead Sea because nothing lives in it. It, uh, it has no outlet. And there's a good uh, lesson for life. The Sea of Galilee is full of fish, and teeming with fish, even to this day. Water comes in, and the water flows out. And when you have that turnover of fresh water all the time, it's great for life. But when something doesn't have an outlet, it just comes in, and it doesn't give out, it gets stagnant and putrid and smelly and what about your life what about my life you know there's so many people here in our wonderful country that we have so much we are blessed with so many things and if you're just selfish and you never give an extra coat away or you never give extra food away it's all about me in today's gospel at Mass today, what was the gospel? The guy that had a big harvest and he built bigger barns and he stored it all up for himself. God said, you fool. You're a fool. Tonight your life will be required of you. Meaning, you're going to die tonight, buddy. What good's it going to do you? If all you do is take in all you do is take in. If all life is, is about me. And you're not a person who gives out. And you, you can share the love of Christ in a thousand different ways. 
and people do. And when you're a giving person, when you're always looking out for the other, always serving the other, your life is dynamic and your life produces fruit. And you have a wonderful life. You know? You have a really wonderful life. <laughs> Reminds me of one of my favorite movies at Christmas time, It's a Wonderful Life. You ever see it? Oh, yeah. The guy, it's not about me. He helps, and he helps his dad, and he stays. He doesn't go off to college. He doesn't go off on his trips. He always puts other people, and then he marries the girl, and he's got kids. And he's always giving and giving and giving. He gets kind of frustrated about the whole thing. But as you saw in the movie, he realizes, you really had a wonderful life. You know? Be a giver. And your life will be, and your life will be teeming with uh, life. If it's all about you, you're like the Dead Sea. It just goes in and it gets stale and putrid. The lowest point, salty. <laughs> <laughs> the lowest point on earth, yeah. You'll be the lowest point in humanity. Repentance means to turn around, to change your mind, to turn away from your sin. You've been lying, you're going to tell the truth. Uh, the prophet Isaiah, he was a prophet in the Old Testament who spoke of the coming of the Messiah one day. Baptism, going under the water, is a sign of your belief and repentance. You're dying to your old life. You're going to try to change. Tax collectors, men who gathered taxes for the Romans, they usually cheated people, and they were universally hated. King Herod Antipas, he was ruler at the time, and he was the son of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was called the Great because he built a lot of buildings in uh, Jerusalem. And um, he had, like I said, he had four sons and he named them all Herod. Uh, this Herod, Herod Antipas, had, got, had John put in jail and had him beheaded. Our lessons, number one, it's not who you are, but how you live that matters the most. You cannot walk around, and I think there are people like this. I think there are many people like this. They just, oh, I'm a Catholic, been a Catholic all my life, and I'm, you know, when I die, I'm going to go to heaven, you know, for sure, man, I'm a Catholic. And that's not exactly how it works, my friends. God could raise up Catholics from these stones if he wanted to. You know, that's what John the Baptist would say. Number two, nowhere can a man serve God better than in his daily work. When they asked John, what should we do? He said, do your job right. Collect your taxes honestly. Don't bully people as a soldier. Don't extort people. He, he didn't tell them to change their occupations. And so what is he saying to you? Be a good college student. Uh, be good... Yeah, I know you're adults, but you're still probably living with parents, maybe. And, you know, so be good children to your parents. That's a big part of your life. Be a good college student. Maybe you got jobs. He'd say, you know, be a good employee. Do you realize that if you're an employee 
and your employer is paying you by the hour, let's say, and you take multiple breaks, and you just hang out with your buddy, and you look at the latest YouTube videos for 10 minutes here, 20 minutes there, and in an eight-hour day, you end up screwing around for two hours. Well, you would think you would get fired, but uh, I've actually known quite a few people who who live their life like that. They think nothing of it. They're, you're actually stealing from your employer. Do you realize that? If he's paying you 20 bucks an hour, well, you just stole 40 bucks. Now, a lot of people would not, you know, they wouldn't reach in the cash register and take 40 bucks. But they'll screw around for two hours on the job constantly because, well, the boss ain't here. He's not watching. You know, you got to be cognizant of that in your life. If you're being paid, you should give uh, an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. And on the other hand, the employer should pay you fairly. Uh, Nike really shouldn't pay 20 cents a day to some kid in India to sew soccer balls for him or something. You know, sweatshops, yeah. you know, the, the uh, executives are making millions of dollars a year and, uh, or some banana corporation has got people picking bananas down in Central America and they pay them just enough to keep them from starving while the corporation makes millions of dollars. That's evil. That's evil too. They're stealing from their workers. And workers can steal from their employers. Everybody should do their job honestly. Number three, if you speak the truth, you will often be persecuted. John, he didn't have to speak up and say, you know, King Herod, you're living in adultery. <laughs> you know, when people said that to Bill Clinton, you know, he would try to destroy them, or Hillary would, would try to destroy them for it. That's the way it goes. When you speak the truth, you'll be persecuted. If you speak the truth publicly about a public figure, it could get very dangerous in life. It got John killed. When you speak the truth to your associates, <laughs> what would happen if you saw a kid in class cheating on a test, on an exam? And after the class, you went over to that person, you said, I saw you cheating on it. I saw you had a cheat sheet on your desk, man. They probably wouldn't take it very nicely, would they? You know? And if you said you were going to tell the professor or the teacher, they would really get upset. You know? A lot of times, people simply don't like to hear the truth. One of uh, the, the women you know says, well, I had an abortion last week. If you say, oh my goodness, 
you killed your baby. She probably won't take that well. You know? But it's the truth. People don't want to hear the truth. They want to hear what they want to hear. They want to hear something that makes them comfortable. Do prophets make people comfortable? No. They usually make people very uncomfortable. And if you're going to follow Jesus and repeat the words of Jesus to your society, to your generation, you're going to get blowback. You're going to get hate emails. You know, people are going to unfriend you on Facebook. I don't even know, I don't even know if you're on Facebook anymore. Can you unfriend somebody on Instagram or? Yeah. Okay. Well, they'll do it. <laughs> you know, they, they will. You, you'll catch a lot of social media crap. And if you don't believe me, just go on social media tonight and just make a very simple statement. Abortion is murder. And see what happens. Uh, it's just, you'll, you'll, you'll get blowback. But get over it. Get used to it. If you're going to be a Christian, don't be a whiner. Don't be saying, oh, they persecute me. <laughs> you know. My friends, they don't like me anymore. Well, you need friends who want to follow Christ. And you can be friendly toward everybody. You should be. You should be friendly toward every single person in life as a way, as just in a general way of living. You should be charitable and friendly toward everybody in life. And sometimes that will work out that your friendliness and your, your charitableness toward them might lead them to believe in Jesus. But you really need to have some good Christian friends, and that's what Quo Vadis is so great. I, I, I think I'm hearing from various people that this is great, man. Uh, Brandon just told me on the phone today, he said, man, I've met so many wonderful Catholic young people. He said, like, where were these people? It's crazy. You know? He said, now they're all like coming out of the woodwork, you know?